The following podcast contains adult subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Hey everybody, welcome to this episode of Thinking Outside the Long Box. As usual, I am Gabe, and today on the line... We have Gail Cronauer. Uh, you may recognize her from the Amazon Prime movie, The Vast of Night, uh, that we are actually talking about on the show uh, during our next recording session, which means this will probably come out right after you've heard us talk about it. Uh, Gail, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much. It's great to be here, Gabe. Well, thank you for uh, joining us. and we, we just really appreciate it. We always appreciate our time when people that create the things that we love. So... <laughs> Now, let me ask you this. You're going to be talking about The Vast of Night. Are you going to be speaking with the director? Uh, I believe we are working on that right now. Uh, I don't do any of that organizational side of things because I'm very bad at it. <laughs> so <laughs> okay. what happens is Juan sends me Google invitations and I just say, there we go. <laughs> okay. Well, the reason I'm asking is I don't want to say anything that will be a spoiler uh, so, uh, spoiler alert, maybe, so that when you said this would be after talking with someone else, I went, that's great. So, I won't mess anything up then. Oh, yeah. So, our show comes with an automatic spoiler alert, because we just don't really think too hard about it and just say whatever we feel like saying. Got it. That's great. That's right down my alley. I love it. <laughs> so, Gail, as I was looking at, at your history in acting, it looks like your first role was all the way back in 1987. What what has it been like watching the industry develop over time? And what are some of the things that you've seen change uh, for good and maybe even for not so good? Ah, oh, wow. It's an, a very interesting time to be talking about that. So uh, I have been here in Dallas, Texas, uh, since before 1987. And um, this was where my broadcast TV film career really took off. Uh, but all during that time, I was also um, working full time as often as I could, sometimes not, uh, teaching and supporting uh, two kids and a husband who had some health issues. So um, I was always get out there, get cast in something, shoot it, act in it, and then run back to home to cook meals, do dishes, whatever, uh, and then go back and teach full time. So um, my relationship with the industry was um, always um, um, just kind of crazy. It was just crazy. Uh, when I first came here, um, there were agents, and it's like, whoa, there are agents in Dallas. And I had moved here from Wisconsin, where that was not the case. So that was fantastic. The industry here was very much a commercial market. Texas is renowned for its beautiful people, male, female, all sizes, shapes, colors, and whatever. And the commercial market here was huge. And I'm not really a commercial actress. I've done a couple, but um, they're usually pretty wacky. And I played 
crazy women on roller coasters telling people to you know to get out of the way <laughs> or I uh, sell house page or something um, so um, the film industry in Dallas did begin to take off we had a facility here called Las Colinas that was built back there in the early 80s and our hope was that that would lure production to Dallas specifically, but of course, Texas. And we talked about it being the third coast. And it never really happened here in Dallas. The film production center, um, of course, became Austin, which is um, an amazing city. It has a vital music scene. You all know that. South by Southwest is down there. There are so many different locations within a couple of hours travel time. Uh, Someone once said to me, you have um, locations that look like uh, the teens, the 20s, 30s, the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, within 30 minutes of one another. So that became um, a real hot spot. There were a couple of times that Dallas tried to come back. Um, we have had a couple of TV shows, uh, Dallas shoot here, but um, the big thing that's gone on in this area is indie filmmaking. And of course, that's coming out of Dallas. It's also coming out of Fort Worth. It's also coming out of now Arlington, where there is a great graduate program, UNT, University of North Texas, SMU. So there were all these colleges and universities that have been uh, growing um, filmmakers. So there's a huge amount of indie production work going on here. So I've seen that kind of wax and wane over the years. What also happens is that people will go away to NYU or USC and come back home to make a movie about the people and places they love. So I've been lucky enough to work on several of those. Um, So the industry continues to work to find its form. We've had rivals. There have been film incentives that have been big in Louisiana after the hurricane and big in New Mexico as that becomes a bedroom community for L.A. And Dallas continues to um, work to run hard and um, hope to create its own identity as a film center. So um, I think, and now with what's going on, um, I think once again, we have to wonder about what the future is going to be Um, in Texas, in Dallas, in Austin. um, I was um, part of a discussion about a month ago with people in the industry in um, Austin, but all over the state. And there are so many people who, because of the quarantine, have said, I've had it with New York. I've had it with L.A. I'm going someplace where there's a lot of space. I can socially distance. I can feel safer. I can have a family. I can buy a house. And so there are a number of um, film uh, makers 
uh, who have relocated to Austin. So we will see as things begin to uh, open up, hopefully slowly and carefully, which right. it will be, you know? So, uh, so, uh, so it's been really interesting. The, another thing that's happened in the years that I have been here, I've also done quite a bit of stage work and I've watched as the number of theaters in this area all across the state has grown. And that has fed, nurtured uh, a new generation of directors, writers, actors. So that's very exciting because there is uh, an amazing talent pool here looking for work and not wanting to necessarily head for LA or Chicago or uh, Atlanta or New Orleans or New York. So, uh, and now uh, with uh, the ability to self-tape, you don't have to live in one of those centers, those epicenters to um, be doing, um, to be doing work. So we'll see what happens. So with a film like The Vast of Night, you know, it it seems like you know, there obviously was a pretty big cast to like film, you know, the extras for the, for the basketball scenes and those sort of things. Like, did that develop or was that filmed in Texas or is that something? Oh, yes. Yeah. It was. Uh, I have a number of students who actually were basketball players. Uh, (laughs) And, um, I, you never really know who all is involved in a project, you audition and then you hope for the best for yourself. You see a lot of friends at auditions, but you never really know what's happening until sometimes even until after the film has been shot, because of course the, the way films work, you come in and you do your thing and you may be there for one day or three days or 10 days um, and never see people that your character is intimately involved with. Um, so I had, uh, have a wonderful role in the film, but I was really only on set for, uh, an overnight shoot. So, um, um, kind of gotten, gotten off the track here, but I really was not sure who all had been cast in it. And then when I saw the film, I went, oh my God, there are some wonderful, um, professional actors in very small roles doing wonderful work. So there is that actors so hungry, so grateful, so ready to work, especially with a script that was um, this exciting. But then you have all of these um, uh, young people who are wanting to get into the business. So you have these cheerleaders, you have these basketball players, and they put out a call for background players, for extras, and man, they show up. Uh, so it was exciting to see that. And I had students come up to me and go, so have you heard any more about that film? You know, I was one of the basketball players. No, haven't heard anything yet. Hopefully they've gotten to see themselves. <laughs> as, as far as science fiction films go, this is kind of like a, a quiet one. You know, it's very much based in language and words. You know, the, the alien language and human language, all of these different like points that are usually when exposition happens in movies, it's very boring, but this is like, this is couched around, you know, the phone call from the radio station or the conversation that they're having with you where there's these very heavy exposition points, but because 
of the way it's delivered to you and because of like the tenseness of the situation it's very effective what was it like working with a script that's so it seems very word dense compared to a lot of other scripts right well as an actor um i mean we do monologues uh, it's a very special kind of an interview. You go in and you do a long speech, and that's your audition. That's your attempt to get a job. So actors are familiar with that. But this this particular script was, I mean, it was nine or ten pages long. And when I first got it, I went, whoa, this is incredible, both exciting to have those words to work with and overwhelming um, at the same time. So I think it was the opportunity to tell that story that really excited me and got me through any terror that I might have had <laughs> about doing it. So um, I, I, I mean, I love stories. And so many people have talked about um the Twilight Zone, growing up on Twilight Zone, or discovering Twilight Zone um, when they were older on some kind of platform. But I mean, I watched Twilight Zone. Rod Serling went to my alma mater. He went to Antioch College. So I mean, I always had this connection to him. But um, also, when I was a kid, and we would travel on uh, a weekend night to go visit um, the places where my parents had been born uh, and no longer lived, we would drive at night and we only had the radio to listen to. And at a certain point, there were radio dramas on it. I can remember lying on the floor of the back seat of the car, looking up at the sky and listening to radio dramas. So to me, Storytelling in the dark is so exciting. So, um, and of course, I didn't know what was going to be going on um, on set because you you read the script and you have a sense of it, but then you show up and you go, "Oh my goodness, this is different than I thought." The home that they had uh, secured to be Mabel's home was so beautifully decorated um, in terms of um, the books and the, the the closeness of it. And we were shooting in October when it's still very hot in Texas. And it was at night. It was a night shoot. So there was dark outside and the room was warm and there was the closeness of it and all those people in such a very small space. So all that began to create an atmosphere and of course, the responsibility to get through all of this text was so focusing. So that gave me a sense of what it might be. But I have to say, when I watched the film and I looked at some of those amazing, long, panning shots that cover, uh, the camera has a life of its own and uh, creates a tempo and a tension that is so amazing. And the, the score of the film, I think, is absolutely breathtaking. So whatever the actors brought to it, what was added with the particular shots and with the sound, it, it's just extraordinary to create that tension. And I found when I was watching the film, 
um, that I was extremely dense. <laughs> and it was like, oh, my God, I, I'm, I know what goes on. I've seen this before. And yet I found myself transformed by that. So um, I, I will say that there were some things on the set that were so helpful to me I mean, it's always the costume, and it's always I'm, I'm wigged. I have to admit, um, I'm I'm wigged in it. Um, but there were newspaper articles that they had created that were on the wall or somewhere on the set that never show up in the film. That that were documents about what had happened to Mabel and to her missing son and to have those specific things there to, um, to fuel me was fantastic. Um, I'll go here. Here goes a spoiler thing. So there were some words that I speak at the very beginning of my scene um, that are in an alien tongue and, um, I was given permission to create those words. So I created them and I wrote them down on a little piece of paper. And the actor me is going, I have to be saying these words every single time the same way because for editing purposes, I mean, I need to be doing that. And having those words and having that little piece of paper, they all were very specific details that added to the vibe, the atmosphere, the feeling of the piece. And it's a funny story. I was contacted by someone, a woman who was writing a blog about the film, and she asked about um, those lines and where did they come from? And um, I was like, whoa, I don't want to say anything until I check with the director because Andrew Patterson um, is not a very public person uh, and is very careful about what he says and how he says it. He's extremely articulate if you've read any of his interviews. I mean, he's, he's so complete in his um, uh, thinking about and speaking about the film. Anyway, so I created this and it just kind of came to me. I mean, how do you create an alien language? I mean, I don't speak any alien languages, but I created it and it was just a moment of inspiration. You kind of go, you open yourself up and and things come to you and I wrote them down. And But I, I, I wanted to be careful what I said about it. I didn't want to give away anything. So um, I said, Andrew, you know, I think I'm thinking about saying this, that the words came to me in a moment of inspiration. I wrote them down, and uh, um, I would be careful about repeating them because you know what happened to Mabel and to other people in the film when they repeated those words. And people were saying, well, Andrew made a comment, um, maybe people should play the words backwards to see what happened, <laughs> which is so Andrew to say that. And so I cautioned people against doing that because it happens in the film and um, some things occur that um, are rather unexpected. So I, that's what I wrote back to Andrew, first of all. He said, fantastic, send that off to this blog person because that's just what she wants to hear. <laughs> so there were so many things that were done to create the world of the film that were just spectacular. I, I think that's really interesting that they gave you the the opportunity to create you know that moment and that language. That's that's 
you know, do you think that like your experience as as an educator kind of helped you lean into like moments like that, either on this movie or in, at any other time? Well, I, as an educator, what, what happens when you're teaching is that you're learning every day from the people with whom you work. Uh, and that sometimes teaching is what keeps your craft and your art alive when there's no work, <laughs> when you have nothing to do. So, um, well, now you, you say to people, get out of your head and into the space and trust yourself and open yourself up to your imagination. And if you say that often enough, you go, you know, I really have to do it when I'm on the line. So, um, it was a moment I think where I simply allowed myself to um, to play, um, to be open. There are sometimes when, if you if you simply listen, if I simply listen, I hear things, and I don't mean voices. I'm not crazy. I don't think, but where things present themselves to you, and you go, "Oh my goodness, this is." Um, something just presented itself to me. And um, I don't know where it's coming from. It's coming from the universe. It's coming from some place of inspiration. I'm going to say yes to it. So um, that's an amazing thing. We talk about um, being at the point where you're not really self-conscious about what you're doing as an actor. Athletes uh, will talk about the flow experience. You get to a point where you're doing it and 10, 15 minutes later you go, whoa, I think I just did a scene and I don't remember doing it because you become one with it. And that's an amazing thing um, when we experience that as, uh, as artists. So I, I think it might have been some of that too. So Part of it is, you know, also doing what you've trained for. Improv um, is such a huge part of uh, the actor's work these days. I work with directors who've gone, yeah, well, this is kind of an outline for the scene. So what would you say? You know, and at first it was like, you mean you're not going to give me the lines? You're really going to give me permission? And I can remember being on another film where I took this really seriously and I spent hours working on what I might say in this particular scene and it was such a wonderful experience to be given that kind of permission when we worked on um, The Best of Night I had a couple of rehearsal days which sometimes isn't the case on film you you know you you book the job and then you learn your lines and you do your character work and you come on and you shoot and rehearsal is unheard of but we had a couple of days where we actually sat in a room and read through the script and talked through it and added things and changed things and cut things and um, that's it, it's wonderful to be a collaborator in that way, to be trusted. You know? yeah, that that seems like it would be a really interesting process to like be able to, you know, work within the confines of an idea, but not necessarily be like held to a script. That's that's right. really fascinating. Yeah, yeah. It's so, a, oh, go ahead. No, no. I, I was just going to say there's um. There's a, a, a community of people, uh, 
uh, a philosophy and approach to acting that is very much about the words don't matter. The words don't matter. It's all about the feeling. Just get something going and the words don't matter. And as somebody who comes from theater and loves Shakespeare and honors words and believe, I believe that, you know, words are a manifestation of what's going on in our heart, our body. Um, and I'm, I've also begun, this is kind of strange, but I've also begun studying something called eurythmy, um, which was developed by a man named Rudolf Steiner almost 100 years ago. And a lot of that work is um, the foundation for uh, a man named Michael Chekhov's approach to acting. And I'm a certified Michael Chekhov uh, instructor. And uh, in this eurythmy work that I'm doing right now, there's a belief that words are living beings. This gets really alien sounding, doesn't it? That words are living beings and that what we get to do as actors is to communicate with those living beings, that it's all there if we give over to moving the word and being transformed by the word. So um, that's that's a little bit weird, but it's um, it's true. It's really true. That's a, words matter. <laughs> they do matter. Like, and I'm I'm a big. I I'm one of those people that is always preferring to read than watch a movie, or preferring to you know spend time writing than something else. Like, I've always considered myself a fairly creative person, and you know when when I spend the time to write something that has any kind of length to it you get to that point where it's writing itself, you know, mm -hmm. and you talk about how it's telling you what it wants to do next. So as strange as it might sound on the surface, I, I completely understand like the sentiment that you're expressing. <laughs> well, I'm still, I'm, I mean, I still, I just reconnected with a friend that I knew in college who I, I mean, I just found out she's a very successful writer of histor historical fiction. And I mean, I, I I reconnected with her and I went online and looked at what she's written and went, oh my, how, where do those stories come from? Where do those characters and words come from? But what you're talking about, Gabe, um, about doing all this time to cook with your studying and your reading and your thinking and then giving yourself the chance to be still and listen and open to what's out there. Um, must be amazing. I, I'm not a writer in that way. I have on occasions uh, had that experience and gone, wow, this is what it's like. Um, I have tremendous respect for people who write screenplays or write novels or write plays. So good for you. That's fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so as, you know, as we're getting kind of towards the end, uh, I know that you have a couple of projects that haven't had the chance to see the light of day because, you know, global pandemic. <laughs> well, yes. And the one that I'm so excited about um, was originally called Avalanche. And it's a, uh, a rethinking of the hands on a hard body 
uh, it was a, a documentary, and then it became a musical, and it's been in Texas pop culture. It's that whole thing about you a handful of people, and they get to stand with both hands on a pickup truck, and the last one standing gets the truck. And um, there's a German director, Bastian Gunther, um, who now lives half of the year in the States because he's married to an American. He lives in Austin, and he spent... Uh, months uh, talking with a woman who had been the promoter of that event, this actual event, and uh, wrote um, his own uh, beautiful take on that uh, um, competition. And we shot it in Louisiana, uh, Louisiana, Hammond, Louisiana, two years ago, I think now. It became one of these days, that's the name of it, and it was to premiere at South by Southwest in March, and then South by Southwest was canceled. Um, it is um, released in Germany, I've found out, but hasn't made it to the States yet, so my fingers are crossed, because it's a what I read of it and what I got to do in it was, I think, very special. So um, one of these days. And then there's another film that's been hanging around for a while waiting to get finished called Undying. And um, this is my first my first horror flick. And it's really a horror um, comedy about the Dragurs, which I don't know anything about. I know it's a video game, I think, but kind of these undead creatures. Um, and of course, I am, um, oh, spoiler alert, I'm a slayer of sorts with a past. So <laughs> if it ever gets done and um, gets out there, um, I think it will have uh, a, a fantastic response, <laughs> maybe with some of your fans. And I think it could be the first of a series. So I'm really hoping that this uh, moves forward. Again, that was shot here in Texas, Corsicana, which is the home of the fantastic Corsicana fruitcake. Um, and um, some uh, amazing actors, fantastic uh, makeup effects it, and the city of course Canada was like hey y'all come down and make a movie here including the chief of police who is an actor and in the film so it's got a lot of stories behind it so that's undying that's awesome very randomly my grandma would order a course of a cheesecake every year around Christmas time <laughs> Oh yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's a it's a joke for some people, but they always show up with ads in the back of magazines. And um, I actually went to the um, fruitcake factory and saw it was. So it's there. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, and Gail, how can our fans uh, find more information about you? Keep up with you on social media, that sort of. Yes, thank you. So I'm on Instagram at Gail Cronauer, G-A-I-L-C-R-O-N-A-U-E-R, at Gail Cronauer. Also on Twitter, uh, hashtag Gail Cronauer. And I have a website, uh, gailcronauer.com. Lots of stuff about the Vast of Night on there. So uh, there are good ways. Also Facebook, but those other things would probably be better. <laughs> right. Well, Gail, thank you so much for your time. I, I have to tell you, your performance in The Vast of Night was one of the things that really 
drew me completely into the movie like that and the scene where it's blank and you're just hearing the radio is oh yeah un- unbelievable like it's oh. such it's such a well crafted movie and i i thank you very much for talking with us about it well thank you i so appreciate your love of words and i've loved talking with you gabe <laughs> Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Thinking Outside the Long Walks podcast. Join us on Facebook and Twitter to get behind-the-scenes information for exclusive content and to be notified when new episodes are available. The thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent or reflect those of the Thinking Outside the Long Box podcast, Baron Space Productions, its partners, or affiliates. The Thinking Outside the Long Box podcast is made available by its creators, Juan, John, and Gabe. The podcast is edited and produced by Juan, and Albie is the co-executive producer. The Thinking Outside the Long Box podcast is a barren space production. <laughs>